amount. And um, as I say, um, we're going to be looking at these four practices that are uh, very um, revolutionary. Um, if you want to be part of the revolt, if you want to be Han Solo or Luke Skywalker or Princess Leia, you know, you're, you're joining into uh, the resistance movement of Christ to the empire. And um, this is what he's talking about when he says you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. You know, he puts you in different places where you are these very odd things. And um, whether people see that or not is, is um, in some ways secondary. This is who we are as kingdom people. And um, anger last night, uh, non-retaliation today, um, tonight, generosity, and then tomorrow, prayer. So let me read, um, again, if you have a Bible, it would really help to be looking at the passage And this time it's just a few verses. Uh, We're still in 5, Matthew 5, and now we are in verse 38. So, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek... Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Father, again, uh, this is such beautiful um, teaching. Only your son could have ever taught such things. Um, This is clearly not the words of just a mere human. Thank you that you sent him, um, the great prophet and priest and king, the the one who um, came from outside of the human race, born of a virgin, and taught us things we could never have known or even considered or thought of. Thank you for these great words. Spirit, um, please apply them to our hearts. We are lost without you, Um, our minds cannot think these thoughts apart from you, so help us now in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so as I say, um, when he says in verse 38, uh, you have heard it said, and then he quotes the Old Testament, and then in verse 39 he says, but I say to you, he is not um, opposing his teaching to the Old Testament, he would never have done that. The God of the Old and the New Testament are the same God, they're both Yahweh, Uh, He's revealed as Father, Son, and Spirit in the New. But please don't ever say that Jesus came and contradicted the Torah, because he's not doing that at all. He's actually deepening the Torah. Now, this um, particular saying, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, it's a legal term um, for this. Uh, It's obviously in Latin, since it's legal. It's called the lex.
tooth for a tooth, uh, as if it was some horrible thing. It's actually in um, Exodus 21-24. It's in Leviticus 24-20. It's in Deuteronomy 19-21. The Old Testament law itself, as I said, was a the beginning tooth. This is meant for legal cases, and it's not meant for personal disagreement. It was never meant that way. It was meant for the law court and not the dorm room. So you don't have to do this with um, your roommate or with somebody uh, that is a friend of yours. It's also um, meant to limit punishment and not to encourage retaliation. That's very important. So um, it's not like you ought to knock someone's tooth out if they knock your tooth out. That's not what it was meant to be. It was meant to be you can't actually kill someone if they break your tooth. Or you can't take their eye out if they break your tooth. Only, in other words, it's only an eye for an eye. No more than an eye. And uh, no more than a tooth. It's a merciful thing. But see, the, the Pharisees had um, misinterpreted it. And so the, um, this is where, you know, even, even in the church, even in the kingdom, the empire will come and creep in and bring its own ways in. And they would have said, so when someone offends you, uh, you ought to do the same thing back to them. It's your right to do that, and you ought to do that. And Jesus says, no, we don't retaliate in the kingdom. Um, we have a different way. Uh, we, don't, we, we don't have this uh, human quality of defensiveness. And an image that I thought of, I don't know how this popped into my mind, but you know, if, if you know of a, of a samurai warrior, um, you know, a samurai, an ancient Japanese samurai warrior is, is trained to be defensive. And they have all the pads on. Uh, they have that helmet, and it's got the pointy horns and um, one of those samurai swords. So when you're little, um, you know, this is, this is something that you really admire. And, you know, their eyes are darting around. They're kind of crouched, and they make those really loud, guttural screams. Uh, I don't know about... You know, the basketball games you go to, but the, the Wake Forest halftime, they often have these guys come out and break these boards and, uh, you know, and scream and kick them and hit them with their hands. And that readiness to retaliate is what Jesus is touching on here. Um, a really good word for it, if you want to just kind of boil it down to one short word, is the word touchy. Uh, Webster's entry for touchy, oversensitive and irritable, requiring delicate handling, marked by a readiness to take offense at the slightest provocation. That's what he's talking about. And he applies that to four areas. Uh, one, our reputation, the slap on the cheek. Um, number two, our legal rights. Uh, number three, our time. And number four, our money. So I just want to go through those. And first of all, the reputation. In verse 39, uh, look at that. It says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. So um, it was the ultimate insult to take your right hand and slap it across someone's uh, left cheek. Uh, it was a backhanded slap, and um, it was really not about the pain at all. It was about the loss of face. It was about the way that you were publicly being humiliated when somebody did that to you. And if you know the story of Jesus, right before he was executed, this very thing happened to him. Uh, it says um, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, and that would have been the backhanded slap. And he said, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus slapped him back. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> it's not what it says. It's, uh, 
It's a mistranslation. It's like the message on steroids. <laughs> uh, instead uh, of slapping him back, uh, he asks a question. And uh, this just shows our Lord's um, lack of need to defend himself. Uh, though he was God Almighty, he was very secure about his identity. And so instead of slapping him, uh, in John eighteen twenty three, it says that Jesus asked, if what I said is wrong, then bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? That's exactly what he's trying to inculcate in his followers, that kind of attitude. Like, you don't need to defend yourself. Um, you have the dignity and the strength to just stand there and to take that, and then just to ask a question back. Um, he's doing that for the sake of the guard, not for his own sake. He has no need to defend himself at all. So um, apply this to your own uh, need to defend yourself. I have a friend who's a pastor. I have a lot of friends who are pastors, and his name's Steve. And uh, he, was, um, he was being publicly slandered a few years ago, and it was pretty intense. And in our little circle uh, in Winston-Salem, it was pretty well known amongst the uh, PCA, Presbyterian Church of America people in Winston-Salem, but I knew that um, he was innocent. I knew the story, and so I got really mad on his behalf, and I um, got together with Steve, and I said, you know, why aren't you defending yourself against these accusations? And he said, Ben, I, um, I have wanted to control, you know, my reputation and, the, and the, do PR on my name so badly, but but I'm learning by God that that is out of my hands entirely, and I'm trying to lay that down at the feet of the cross. And uh, that really um, struck me. I, I really never heard anybody say anything like that. And it's so important, so important to know that. That actually happened to me a little bit later, so it helped to have talked to Steve about that. A great Welsh preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says, um, we, must, we must cease to be so sensitive about the self, this morbid sensitiveness, this whole condition in which self is on edge and so delicately and sensitively poised and balanced that the slightest disturbance can upset its equilibrium. This must be got rid of. The self on edge and delicately and sensitively poised and balanced so the slightest provocation throws it off. That's what it means to be touchy. And we're so touchy about our reputation um, you know, we guard it like a hawk. And Jesus says, let it go. And he says, let your rights go too. That's the next thing he talks about, the tunic. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, verse 40, let him have your cloak as well. So the person is trying to take your tunic, which is not as valuable. It's the inner garment. And Jesus says, if they're trying to do that, let him have your cloak as well. Don't hinder them. Uh, but even be kind and generous to them when they're suing you. The cloak is the outer garment. It's more valuable. Uh, it was an inheritance piece sometimes. And so um, if you sued someone and you won the case, you could take their tunic, but you could never take the cloak. And Jesus says, that's not the way in the kingdom. You don't have to do that. You don't have to defend your rights. Now, this doesn't mean that, that you forget about the law entirely, or that there is never a right time to bring a lawsuit. Because actually in Acts 16, the Apostle Paul defends his rights as a Roman citizen. But I think the point here is how often are those lawsuits really about justice 
And aren't they more often us trying to kind of crusade for ourselves and get something out of it because we're so mad about what someone has done to us? That's not the right posture in which to enter into a lawsuit. But our culture is so litigious that you never know. Um, You would never get advice to the contrary, except from Jesus and Paul. I was speeding in Idaho, and uh, it was 6 a.m., and uh, we were trying to get to a flight, and we were barely making it. And um, it was one of those speed traps. It was a really wide highway, but it wasn't four lanes. It was two lanes, but it was really wide. And uh, we were coming down a hill, pretty big hill, into a, a little town, and right at the base of the hill, it changes to 35, and there's a police car there. 6 a.m., so this is not like I'm endangering anyone. So coming down, you know, I've gotten to 50, and I've passed the line. Of course, the blue lights come on, and my family's in the back of the car, and I was so mad. And I said to myself, you know, this has got to be some um, violation of a constitutional right of some kind, or an inalienable human right is being violated here, clearly. And I, I was so tempted to... Um, to resist that officer and to be angry and to, you know, to, to snipe at him and uh, to be surly. And I, um, I did. I was like that. But uh, <laughs> I was later reminded by my Christian wife that that is not the way to be. Um, Jesus said, if someone's suing you, even if it's unjust, be generous, be helpful. Um, surprise them, shock them. There's a member of our congregation that's the assistant DA, which is always a good thing to have in your congregation. And she, um, she tells me that people are always trying to get as much as possible. They, they try to milk every last cent in any legal action she sees, uh, both believers she has and non-believers. And it's really sad. That's just, that, is, that is not the light of the world. That is not the salt of the earth. What if Christians didn't do that? What if Christians were revolutionary uh, in the extent that uh, we followed what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6-7? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded, he says. So uh, our reputation, you know, the samurai warrior, our, our rights, our legal rights, and also our time. Um, and this is a really big one, especially for those of you, you know, you're in college and uh, your time is very precious to you. Um, if you study a lot, it's that. If you, you know, do the other thing, it's that. But um, verse 41 says, and this is about time. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And there's a really important historical context here. Roman soldiers, when they saw someone who was Jewish, they could demand uh, that the Jewish person carry their pack, their backpack, uh, up to one mile and no further. You know, the mercy of Rome. Only one mile. But it was very humiliating, as you can imagine, to the Jews. Uh, They hated this. And um, this is something, again, very revolutionary. It would have gotten him in trouble. But Jesus says, if they ask for your time, give them more time. If they ask for your one mile, give them two miles. And, um, I mean, you think about it, that we are more sensitive to our time than they were, by far. And we have this terrible expression, me time. You know, they would not have had the expression, me time. And, um, and yet, he still says to them, you know, the second mile. How much more to us would he say that, who are so grasping? We were at the uh, General Assembly of the PCA, which is a sight to see, and uh, it was in Greenville, um, South Carolina this year, and we had reserved our room at the Hyatt Regency, and we got there, and uh, because I'm a 
Presbyterian pastor, very timely and a decency and an order. And I was there early, and uh, the room's supposed to be ready at 3 p.m. I had found that out, and, uh, and it wasn't ready. And I, I rolled my eyes, like, oh, my gosh, you know, what kind of place is this? And the guy at the counter saw it, and so he said, sir, just one hour, please, we'll have it all ready. Um, so one hour I waited patiently, and then um, it wasn't ready. And not only that, but there was a, a guy behind me in line, and I saw them escorting him with the luggage rack and everything to his room. And so um, I felt like this is a breach of contract. Surely I should get money back or something from this. And again, my wife is like, you know, no, you, don't, you shouldn't do that. You know, Christ, 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 uh, <laughs> the light of the world, the light of the world. But all weekend, I was, um, I was muttering to myself and to my wife and children, I thought this was supposed to be a nice hotel, and they weren't even apologetic about it, and uh, they need to work on customer service. And so I think it's worth asking yourself right now, um, are you touchy about your time? And um, whether it's waiters at restaurants being a little slow, or a car in front of you at a stoplight, or um, a grocery store line, we've all somehow made these claims on our time that are ridiculous, because we didn't create a single second of our time. And I don't know if that's going to come up this weekend for you. I'm sure it'll hit you back uh, on your campuses, but, you know, Jesus would say, you can lay that down. You don't need to defend your time. You know, I've got every second of your life in my hands. I have a plan for you. And then finally, our stuff, um, verse 42. And I think it's so ingenious how Jesus goes through these four things and um, just nails us on all these different parts of our defensiveness. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, I think sometimes we think that the beggars back then were really nice beggars and they dressed well and they didn't smell bad and they weren't addicts and they were honest beggars, but, um, you know, that's obviously not true. Um, in fact, the whole section, if you go back and look, it's about not resisting evil. So he's assuming that this beggar would have been a difficult person who's begging probably manipulative, um, you know, probably does this regularly, and yet he still says, and I know that there's times that we need to be careful about this stuff. This can't be a rule applied in every circumstance. But Jesus says, if it's your stuff you're worried about, don't worry about it. Uh, Don't defend your stuff. Um, Give it generously. It's It's an attack here on our defensiveness about our possessions. And um, surely this has happened to you. I was at this corner of 4th and Spruce in Winston-Salem. It's kind of a big, big corner. Um, you get a lot of this kind of traffic um, of people who are asking for, um, for stuff there. And they always have a story. And so this guy came up to me, and he started telling me the story. And I said, so, you know, just you know, cutting to the chase, what, what exactly do you want? And he said, um, I'm looking for some food. And I, I was in a rush, but, um, you know, I was, I was in a rush. I, I was tempted to defend my time, but I said to myself, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help this guy. I, do, I have a policy. I don't give money out. I think that's a wise thing in general. But I did see a subway, and so I, I, I said, let's go over there, and I'll get you something. So we go in there, and he gets this uh, massive sub combo um, with the huge drink and uh, double the meat. And so I'm trying to be generous, so I'm 
magnanimously paying for this, uh, no complaint. And as we leave together, you know, I'm hoping for a little gratitude as we part. And instead he says, so, you know, I still need some money for food later on. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And, um, again, we've got to think about what, what Christ says here, that, um, you know, however wrong the guy was, that's not the point at all. The point is, um, how defensive are you about your finances? How touchy are you? How much do you cling to them? You've got to think about what's wise for the person in front of you. And um, obviously we can't give everything away or we would be begging. But, but there's, a, there's a providence of God in these things where he's bringing these people into our path. And certainly we cannot be um, defensive about it. So Jesus says, stop. That is the way of the empire. The empire is infecting you. It's affecting you. It's changing your thinking. And the empire says, blessed are those who can take care of themselves. Blessed are those who don't need a handout. Um, if you read any Ayn Rand, you know, there's a movie. I mean, this, is her, this is her motto. You know, you take care of yourself and no one else. And if we all just took care of ourselves, and you hear this in politics sometimes, and the world would be fine. And the problem is no one takes responsibility for themselves. And there's some truth in that. But in the kingdom, the king says, blessed are the meek, which is not those who take care of themselves. Meekness is the opposite of defensiveness. And in the kingdom, that is prize, that is blessed, that, that is um, deep happiness, um, meekness, not defensiveness. It's something to strive for. And going back to Webster's, this is kind of funny, um, it describes meek as quiet, submissive, gentle, easily imposed upon, compliant, tame, mild, and soft. And then it gives us the bad example, the meek compliance of our politicians, so if I'm writing a recommendation for a student to have an RUF internship or something, I don't want to put, you know, John is especially meek. Because meekness in our culture has been redefined as all these things. Timidity, mildness, um, compliancy, easily imposed upon. But Jesus says, no, that's not it at all. What I'm talking about is don't be defensive. Lay down your rights. It's, a, it's actually a very strong thing to do, what he's talking about. There's a band called Switchfoot uh, that is a little old hat, I think, now. But they have a song where they say, um, I turn everything over, I turn myself in, there's nothing left of me to defend. I mean, when you get Christianity, that's, you understand that's true. There's nothing to defend about myself anymore. So why am I being defensive? Why not meek? There's a church in Gainesville, Florida that a friend of mine went to, and he told me about how it was a young church, and so their pastor had a, a yearly um, seminar. Every year they did a training on how not to be offended. And uh, I think that would be a good training um, for RUF. I think it would be a good training um, for any group of, of especially younger people who we, we do get so easily offended. And it's a huge part of making disciples is training people not to be easily offended. That's what meekness is. Now, a couple of caveats. One, this, I, now you might be a pacifist, but I don't think he's teaching pacifism here. I'm not saying you can't get that from the Bible, but I think that this is certainly, uh, there should be a personal disposition in your heart not to hit someone, uh, not to slap someone, um, towards nonviolence in general. There should definitely be that disposition in the human heart. Um, I don't think the Sermon on the Mount is about our relationship to the government. I think Romans covers that more. Um, so if you want to know about that, go to Romans 13. But uh, we actually need kingdom revolutionaries to be you know, politicians 
and DAs and policemen and soldiers and judges. So we need meek people in those positions. So I don't think he's talking about pacifism. Uh, John the Baptist and Peter and Jesus, they all met military commanders, and they didn't say anything about stop doing that. And in fact, Jesus' disciples had swords. So where do they get the swords? So I'm, I don't think it's pacifism, but I do think Jesus would, as he said to Peter, put away that sword. We don't need that. You know, I don't know why you're carrying that sword, but you don't need to do that right now. So it's not that, and it's also not being a doormat. It's not the definition of meekness that I read to you from Webster's. Um, you don't have to give money to everyone. You don't have to volunteer for everything. And there's certainly a type of person who is obsessively looking for approval and running around ragged trying to help everyone, and you need boundaries. And there's other people um, who are dealing with addicts and repeat offenders, and you need boundaries. There's times for boundaries. This is not a list of rules. You know, rule one, when someone slaps you on the cheek, never, ever, under any circumstance, make any show of resistance. It's not what he's saying. Rule two, whenever anyone sues you, you must, in every situation, give them twice what they asked. This is simply a description of kind of, this is what it's like to be in the kingdom, these type of meek practices. So a couple of examples. A woman of, a friend of mine, Jeanette, she is uh, the wife of a pastor. She's in a prayer meeting. They're all sharing requests. This has probably happened to you. And they go around and pray, and nobody prays for Jeanette. You know, it's, uh, it's one of the difficulties of these kind of situations. You have to be really careful about that. But somebody noticed and asked, you know, are you, are you upset that they didn't remember you? And she's like, I forget God all the time. I forget about him all the time. Why, why should I care if they forget me? And that's unfortunately a very rare um, kind of disposition for a Christian to have. Like, I don't need to be remembered all the time. Small little thing, you know, just a prayer. But uh, there's another guy who's a church planter, and um, one of the churches started turning on him. And they were saying, you know, so-and-so is a better leader, so-and-so is a better preacher. And those of us who are pastors, we hear these things. It's really hard. But um, this guy, um, the church planter, wrote back to them, and he said, you know, with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm not even aware of anything I've done wrong, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. That's 1 Corinthians 4, 3. That's Paul, who was that church planter. And... You know, what Paul's saying is, I don't really care what your opinion about me is, but that's not because I care only about my own opinion about myself. That's foolish, too. He's like, God is the one who judges me. God is the one whose opinion matters about me. I look to God's opinion. I think this is kind of the secret of not being defensive, is that um, the one whose reputation counts, the Father in heaven, says to us, you're not guilty. You don't need to defend yourself. In fact, you're not only not guilty, you're an heir. I've made you an inheritor of the kingdom. People like that don't need to defend themselves. Um, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's the very beginning of the sermon. He's saying you can, be, you can lay it all down because I've made you a royal person. I've made you an inheritor of the kingdom. You know, it makes a sense for an orphan to be defensive, um, clutching and grasping and fearful and hoarding suspicious because they've got to be that way to survive. No one's protecting them. But for an heir, um, why would an heir be anything but confidently defenselessness, uh, calm and quiet and poised and trusting? You know, I, I, go, I love London. It's my favorite city in the world. There's a place there called the Camden Town Market, which is this beautiful market. All these stalls, shop owners, uh, a lot of artists, 
clothes, jewelry, um, handmade there, great food. And so, you know, imagine I'm in the Camden market and there's a woman that I'm watching haggle with one of the shop owners. And it, it's, she's haggling so hard and it's so manipulative, so coarse, uh, so belligerent, that afterwards I've got to go up and talk to the, the shop owner, the little stall owner, and say, you know, who in the world was that? And, uh, you know, what if, what if they said, oh, she comes in all the time. You know, that's, that's uh, Kate Middleton. She's always like that. You know, and I would, I would say to myself, I'd be thinking, um, why would the beloved heiress of the British people do such a thing as that? Why in the world would she be so defensive, um, so scrambling? And Jesus looks at you, if you're a Christian, and he says the same thing. Why would you, of all people, um, have to defend yourself that much or have to you know, try to manipulate and act like an orphan that much? You're an heir. You don't need to do that. You're VIP. You're adopted by the king. You're very well defended. Why walk around uh, with your back up, you know, clutching at your rights? Best superhero I've ever, uh, movie I've ever seen um, by far, I think, uh, The Avengers. I'm just, I'll go on record. It's The Avengers. Iron Man's great. You know, Dark Knight is great. Uh, but I love The Avengers. And love the idea of a group of superheroes that could be called up at any moment to protect our planet from alien invaders. That's very comforting. <laughs> I think that's one reason I like the movie. And um, one thing I love about the movie is you got all these characters you see from other movies, and I particularly um, like one of them. And, and I was thinking, if they fought each other, who would win? And, of course, two of them do fight each other. And it comes down to Thor and Iron Man. I think they actually fight in the movie... And um, you don't know who wins, but I was thinking, so Thor is immortal, so I don't know what that does for the equation. But um, I think my gut feeling is Iron Man, if they had continued that fight, would have won that fight. I think he's the best. He's the ultimate Avenger. So someone accuses me um, of gossip. That actually happened this summer. I'm a pastor. I hate being accused of gossip, of all things, and I was angry. But because they had accused me of gossip, I couldn't tell anyone or else I'd be <laughs> gossiping about them. So um, I had to kind of do this on my own, and it really helped me to picture Iron Man, you know, right behind me, the Avenger, my Avenger. Actually, I didn't picture Iron Man. I pictured the greatest Avenger. I pictured the King of Kings, who has my back entirely. And um, who, who, why, would, why if, if this guy is over my shoulder here, you know, not a little guardian angel, but the king of kings watching me through the Holy Spirit's presence. Um, somebody can accuse me of gossip, and I can take that. I can take that. In Matthew twenty six fifty three, these uh, heavily armed warriors come to Jesus, and it says, They laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and cut the guy's ear off. And Jesus says to him, to Peter, Put your sword back in its place. And this is the part that gets me. Do you not think that I can appeal to my father? And he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels. That's hundreds of thousands of angels. And then it says all the disciples left and fled. They didn't believe what he said. They didn't believe they were protected. He knew he was protected. He didn't defend himself. He said, we don't need swords here. We've got uh, angels and archangels. Uh, he was the most well-defended human being ever, the least touchy person ever, never defended himself, only looked after other people. He had the ultimate avenger, 
watching over him. But here's the thing about this, is that um, shortly after that scene, what happens to him? The Father stops protecting him. The angels go away. The Holy Spirit leaves him. He's entirely alone. Uh, He is left as an orphan to defend himself. And um, then he takes the punishment. He um, takes our punishment. And uh, he's punished to the full extent of the law, isn't he? All of the human sins placed on him. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He took exactly the amount of sin that we had sinned. It's put on him. And so we don't have to, you know, we don't have to make up for the, the difference. There's no balance for us. We, we, are, we are righteous. And he took all that, um, he gave us uh, his status as an heir, as the son, and um, he became condemnation. So that's the heart of the kingdom. He takes your place. He gives you his place. That's the revolution of meekness. And uh, I want you all to think about that as you get together in groups. Um, those questions you've got in front of you, um, think about the ways that you defend yourself, um, that you're touchy, um, and then mostly I want you to think about the way you're so well defended. And there's no reason to be that way. So let me pray for us. Father, we want to be um, kingdom people. And I know that uh, some are here who, who don't believe. And I pray the beauty of this would, um, would soften their hearts to believe or to believe more or to come farther in. Um, I pray that um, just the, the utter loveliness and um, gloriousness of this gospel would shatter our hearts, would melt our hearts and make us want to be this way, not just have to be this way, but but deeply desire it because of the beauty of the king. And uh, it's in his name we pray. Amen.